had passed since the crisis of the Great Schisms, and unknown to the complacent and burgeoning Republic government, a Sith Empire had been forged in the far reaches of the Stygian Caldera. An era of relative peace reigned, and the Republic embarked on its great task of exploration and peaceful expansion. Daring and reckless explorers began mapping long stretches of safe interstellar routes. The Daragon twins were two such explorers who had inadvertently stumbled on the Sith Empire. Soon the discovery would unleash a war that would burn its way to the very heart of the Republic and unleash the Sith on the galaxy forevermore. The Empress Tata System The Chorus System was a deep core grouping of populated human worlds that had grown to become an ecumenopolis. Based on trade and wealth, the planets of Chorus had vast deposits of valuable carbonite that allowed further exploration of the galaxy by providing the resources for use in sleeper ships. As hyperdrive technology became available, the Hyperspace Navigators Guild would form on the planet and oversee the launch of many exploration craft that would map the stars and the discovery of hyperspace lanes, safe routes of travel out of the rest of the galaxy. Because of its massive wealth and resources, the system suffered from excessive corruption, including private dealings with the Republic which bequeathed the carbonite trade to wealthy aristocrats from the world. It was to this royal family that Empress Tita would accede to the throne. Angered by the corruption and illegal carbonite trade, as well as petty infighting, Empress Tita sought to unite the worlds of the Koros system. She launched the Unification, also called the Reunification Wars, and united the Seven Worlds in an effective but brutal campaign backed by the Republic. Her triumph resulted in the renaming of the system to the Empress Tata system, and the power and influence of the United Realm began to rival even that of Coruscant. To ensure its interests would be maintained, the Republic sent the Jedi Odan Ur and Mehmet Nadel to help the Empress finish her war as decisively as possible and safeguard the realm and, by extension, the Republic.
Heroes of the Empire. Donning the title of Warrior Princess, Teda was known to go into battle herself, not content to sit idle while commanding her formidable forces to war. She had a strong sense of justice and was outraged at the lawlessness and poverty rampant on the other six worlds of Koros. Sparking her desire to unite the region under a strong central government, she would ensure her empire would be acknowledged by the burgeoning Galactic Republic and would personally attend to court on Coruscant as a representative of her home system. She was a militarist and maintained arms, soldiers, and warships, even after her successful campaigns, insisting that she would not leave her worlds defenseless even as the Republic sought to rely on diplomacy and the Jedi over a standing military of their own. Jory Darragon, having recently escaped her Sith captors aboard the Starbreaker 12, had returned to the Koros system, absent her brother, who was left behind, thought dead, but working with his Sith captors. Jory warned that the Empress of the Sith Empire and their plans for a coming invasion, while skeptical at first, the warnings of the young explorer and the advice of her Jedi companions convinced her to prepare for the worst. Jedi Master Mehmet Nadil Appointed as an advisor to Princess Tita during the Unification Wars, he became her most trusted advisor as she rose to become the Empress. He received the Padawan Odan Ur to assist and conclude the war effort. It was he and Odan Ur who also saved Jory and Gav Darragan from the mercenary thugs during a chance encounter before their ill-fated exploration and discovery of the Sith Empire, an act that would have farther-reaching consequences than Master Nadil could possibly imagine. The Jedi Master also believed the visions Odan began to manifest about the return of the Dark Jedi exiles. Together they went to Coruscant to warn the Republic and the Jedi of these troubling visions. However, without hard evidence, the Senate remained skeptical. Soon enough, Jory Darragon emerged back on the Kornos escaping the clutches of the Sith, confirming the dreams, speaking of a hidden empire plotting an invasion. Odan Ur A gray-skinned, scaled Drathios species, notable for their predatory but humanoid appearance and exceedingly long lifespans, Odan Ur was a studious Jedi Padawan, when he was assigned by his master to the Koros system. While not a fan of combat, Ur had studied the rare and powerful force technique called battle meditation and could sway the outcomes of the mass violent engagements. Despite his bookish nature, his special talent was one of the reasons he was assigned to Koros during the Unification Wars as to assist the warrior princess. After the conclusion of the Reunification Wars, and the final surrender of the rebel leader, Laban. Thanks to Odin's battle meditation, he began to have visions of the Sith Empire and the Dark Jedi, long since forgotten to history. Odin and Mehmet 
returned to Coruscant with Empress Tita in a doomed attempt to warn the Republic of an impending darkness. Their pleas were ignored. However, Odin Ur's master, the Silesian Jedi Uro, came to the Empress Tita system to consult with him about his dark premonitions. It was during Uro's visit that the sky would suddenly part and fire would rain from the heavens as a fleet of Sith ships appeared suddenly in the system and attacked. The war begins. Following the homing beacon secretly installed on Jory Darragon's ship and leading one of the first military incursions through hyperspace, the Sith Empire's fleet, led by the recently proclaimed Darth Lord of the Sith, Nagasadao, emerged suddenly and violently. Outnumbered, Sadao unleashed multiple incursions across Republic space, striking at the Karos system and even Coruscant itself in a series of lightning attacks, wreaking havoc as quickly and decisively as possible. Mehmet Nadal had returned to Coruscant to attempt to rally what Jedi he could, in spite of the Republic's skepticism, when the Sith invasion force appeared in the skies above. Devastating orbital strikes leveled buildings and drop pods filled with Sith warriors crashed into the streets of the home of the world city, Nadal and three other Jedi Masters stood in defense of the very steps of the Senate Hall where many citizens fled for refuge. The Republic had only a basic security force that was grossly outgunned and seemingly outnumbered by their attackers. Nadal would soon discover, however, that many of the monsters and Sith warriors would vanish into thin air when struck by his lightsaber. Realizing quickly that a large part of the invasion force were simply illusions conjured by Nagasadao, dark Sith magic, to make his armies appear many times their size. The aspersions vanished when Sadao was attacked by his apprentice Gav Darragon, who had a sudden change of heart when he saw the devastation the Dark Lord had unleashed on his home world and the Republic at large. As the Republic forces saw their true numbers of the Sith, they rallied with the Jedi and drove the invasion forces back. Meanwhile, in the Koros system, Empress Tita's army repelled the Sith invasion with her substantial forces, and with the help of the Jedi Master Uru and his Padawan Odan Ur, who was once again able to use his battle meditation to see through Nagasadao's ruse and repel his invasion force there. The war ends. All the destruction I've seen, all the deaths I've caused, by leading the Sith year. My own petty anger has led me to bring this devastating war to the Republic. 
Despite its pleasures and opulence, the Sith Empire is rotten to its core. Quote, Gav Derrigan. Unknown to the Republic, Sadow was casting his illusions aboard a massive Sith meditation sphere, drifting in the dying star Primus Golud, where Gav Daragon had gone to confront his former Sith master. Boarding the meditation sphere to challenge the Sith Lord, man to man. After boarding the craft, however, Gav found it abandoned. He'd been lured into a trap set by Sadow, calling his sister Jory for aid. The Empress Tita's forces arrived in the system to capture Gav and the Meditation Sphere. Gav renounced his former allegiance to the Sith and informed the arriving fleet of how to get into Sith space. Before the Meditation Sphere could be boarded, and Gav willingly be taken into custody, Sadow sprung his trap. Secretly rallying the remnants of his Sith forces to the system, he had used his former apprentices once again to lure his enemies to him. Sadow's fleet engaged Empress Tita's forces, and amidst the battle, the Dark Lord's true intent became realized as he tried to make the dying star go supernova, killing everyone in the system. Gav, in a last feat of redemption, warned Empress Tita's forces of Sadow's plan and transmitted the coordinates of the Sith Empire before being destroyed by solar flares conjured by the Dark Lord. With the coordinates, the Koros military counter-invaded Sith space forcing a rout of Sadow's forces and making them fight on their home turf. Sadow and his Sith, having been decisively repelled, limped back into their own space in an attempt to rally a defense. As the remnants of his fleet came out of hyperspace, they were greeted by a new surprise. The trap is sprung. A Sith fleet stood waiting as Nagasado arrived back in the Stygian Caldera, but not as reinforcements, as foes. Leading the rival force was Ludo Kresh, seemingly returned from the dead. Unknown to Sadow, Kresh abandoned his ship when it was destroyed prior to his Republic invasion, and used the time that he was away to consolidate his power and raise an army within Sith space to await the Dark Lord's return in triumph or defeat. Kresh immediately engaged his rival's battle fleet over the skies of Korriban, and he would have won but for one of Sadow's pilots 
whose fighter had been critically damaged, decided to fly into the bridge of Kresh's ship, killing him and breaking his forces. Sadow seemingly escaped annihilation a second time, before being able to catch his breath, and Bristida's forces emerged from hyperspace to exact vengeance on the Sith Empire. The remnants of the Sith prepared to make a final stand, as Sadow made his escape, knowing that the battle was to be a lost cause. Through the use of his Sith magics, he created a solar flare that made it appear his ship was destroyed. The Empress, satisfied with the annihilation of the Sith fleet and the supposed death of Sadow, ordered her forces to return to Republic space. Unbeknownst to all, Sadow aboard his flagship, the Corsair, found an uninhabited moon in the Yavin system, full of lush jungles where he decided to start anew with his Masasi slaves. The Scars That Remain Although the Great Hyperspace War was very brief, it was devastating. Mass civilian casualties and destruction of infrastructure ranged across a number of Republic worlds, not just on Coruscant and the Coros system but other places such as Metalos and Anaxis who were simultaneously attacked by the invading Sith. Chancellor Plumo of the Republic immediately ordered an invasion of Sith space along with the Republic military and Jedi to purge the worlds of the Sith Empire. With the death of Ludo Kresh and disappearance of Nagasadao, a new Sith Lord took over by the name of Shar Dakan to lead the defense of the Empire. But they were ultimately broken by the Republic. Staging desperate final suicide attacks, the Republic abandoned their desolation of the Sith Empire, and the survivors emerged from the refugees they had taken in the ruins of their tombs and cities. A new Sith Lord, Vitiate, emerged with a new plan for the battered Sith survivors. The Sith Empire, as it had existed, had been destroyed. With small enclaves of scattered survivors, each coming up with their own strategies for survival across a handful of surviving Sith worlds. After the war, the Jedi, Odan Ur, established a great library on Ossus, which would, amongst its great libraries and archives, come to house Sith artifacts collected from the wreckage of the war, including Sith holocrons recovered from derelict vessels. Jory Darragon was offered the chance to name her reward for her assistance in the war effort, though she settled only for a Rabba the Hutt's old repair dock where she would live an innocuous life after the loss of her brother. Tita had been overcome with sorrow for the great loss of life and devastation of the war. She would go on to rule wisely, peacefully, and rebuild all that was lost. 
The Caro system was also honored for their part in the war by the Republic, and the system grew in great wealth and power and influence on the galactic stage. Empress Tita, although human, would live to the grand age of 175 years old before passing away peacefully, but her legendary status would be remembered long after. Years later, Tita became a mythical hero in the Koro system in honor of their warrior leader, who had not only unified them, but was also instrumental in maintaining her military to repel the Sith invader, was renamed the Empress Tita system. As for the Republic, to honor the brave Jedi who fought the invasion forces of the Sith on the very steps of the Senate, dedicated a mountain to them. One of the few remaining surface features not covered over by the last building cityscape. This mountain would later be built over and become the site of the future Jedi Temple on Coruscant in the millennia to come. The hyperspace war would be the first time the Republic and Sith would come to blows, but it would be far from the last setting the stage for many more battles and many more losses of life to come as the war would rage across the stars for millennia. Thanks for flying with us. Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out with a DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lords podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fictions, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon, so if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome aboard the Millennial Falcon. This is Christian. And this is Jordan. We're currently sitting over the um, ruins of Korriban still. I haven't left. Um, I like to come here to meditate and think about the past and better days. Yep. No, I'm just kidding. And um, occasional uh, ghost haunting <laughs> at night. <laughs> I hear Marco Ragnos whisper <laughs> in your ears. <laughs> in my ears. Yes. Telling you to do terrible things. <laughs> yeah. Telling me but to it's go a murder 
uh, Ewoks or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the best sleep of your life, so you have to. <laughs> small price to pay. We are talking about the Great Hyperspace War um, today, which is kind of one of the bigger conflicts that happens in early history of the galaxy. It's really kind of where we earn the name Star Wars in the franchise. Um, so kind of leading up to it in the story so far, if you've been listening to our episodes in order, um, we've had uh, Nagasato unleash the might of the Sith Empire against the Republic. So this is the first time we're seeing the Sith and the Republic and the uh, ostensibly the Jedi as in relation to the Republic go to war with each other, which will have aftershocks all throughout history until the very end of Star Wars time. Um, this is the beginnings of a war that will never essentially end, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, really like a rivalry between people group or two philosoph rival philosophies, philosophies. Uh, that, and they really, I think almost gets cemented in this war. Like it is, it, it, this is now like light versus dark. Yeah. And this is where the Sith become the Sith. Yeah. Before it was dark Jedi versus Jedi. Yeah. Now it's the Sith versus Jedi. It's mortal enemies. Yeah. Yeah. The scale was very different. Like when it was dark Jedi, that was more like Jedi cults almost that were considered heretical to the mainstream Jedi. Jedi but this yeah. is like an entirely different religion. Yeah. And it's had right? time. It's had yeah. thousands of years to cement and like isolate itself and kind of develop its own f core philosophy. Yeah. I would almost put it this way. It's like, if you think about, you know, like Mormonism or something is like this kind of culty offshoot of Christianity. Sorry, Mormons. Um, <laughs> but like, Islam is a completely different religion and yeah. like Islam versus Christianity, say a thousand years ago or something like that's kind of what we're talking about now, it, even though they might have some common faith in like Christianity and Islam are Abrahamic religions. Uh, uh, so they have some common ancestry, but uh, they are like, they're very, very they both now. do not yeah. recognize each other as legitimate and they're very large, uh, culturally important. And this is, and even have come to blows throughout history. That's right. Yeah. And, and sort of now when we're talking about the Sith and the Jedi, this is to me, the, the that's sort of the closest analogy you can get is, is, uh, is that uh, like, we're talking about two very different religions. Yeah. Now. They've had like a common origin point, but have now, split off yeah. so clear like so distinctly now that yeah and over thousands of years too yeah so. again like the sith empire has been stewing on its own without yeah. outside contact for thousands of years yeah building its own culture its yeah. own writings its own philosophy philosophy yeah. they've had time to think and dwell and expand yeah um yeah so that's where we're at now i, I do quickly do want to mention just because I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a perfectionist um, this isn't the first time we've had intergalactic conflict. We've had things like the Rakatan Empire and their conquest, the Quad, and all these other species. Yeah. But they're so lost to history by this point. Yeah. Um, and they have they're so detached from ideas of like they're like pre-republic, right? Also, the the difference even with the like the Infinite Empire, they were the only ones who could travel between. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the thing that gave them that unique star set. Um, out of their own solar system, right? Yeah. Um, whereas now we're talking about two hyperspace, the, like the the first, what I think is, believe is the first like 
two hyperspace capable civilizations fighting each other um hyperspace yes yeah, so you're specific to hyperspace the infinite empire were, weren't the only intergalactic empire like i said the quads yes there the was agree um and i think even the huts predated this but they their impact and their like they were yeah they were the few species species that could right and their impact is like kind of confined to their time and space right like yeah. they they have very little impact on the events we're currently talking about but the events we're talking about now even though they're thousands of years in the future will still resound thousands of more years in the future yeah. and then to speak about hyperspace as a technology it has just been discovered recently versus like the way the infinite empire traveled through infinity gates as did the qua um you know the in the infinite empire did use uh, hyper hyperspace. Was it travel. called specifically hyperspace though? Or no, was it... But they, they use the force to, to power yeah. their. So it, it wasn't like yeah, a, like so... hyperspace is a unique technology. It's a specific. Yeah, but technology. they were the first ones to. I'm pretty sure that's. I don't like, know if they use the term hyperspace. I'm pretty sure they were like the first. Okay. They invented... this could be settled <laughs> with a very easy Google search. Which okay, so someone's gonna do right now. No, I'm pretty sure the Infinite Empire invented hyperspace travel. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. Let's leave they, it. they weren't using infinity okay. gates. Here's what I knew. I could Google this right now, but what we will do is uh, leave it to the fans to uh, vote okay. yep. and pick a side. This is the beginnings of a new religious conflict. I just want you to know it's happening right now. Um, anyways, moving on from the hyperspace discussion. Um, couple of interesting notes about how the Sith decided to conduct their full-scale invasion of the Republic. Um, it's very reminiscent of the Blitzkrieg, which is, I mean, I, I don't know ancient history warfare that well. I'm sure chariots had a similar effect, but a lot of people um, associate World War I. Blitzkrieg is a World War II phenomenon, but World War I where the idea of like, very fast, decisive attacks yeah. um, on a target is kind of where it originated. Um, again, I'm not a specialist in military history. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But um, yeah, World War One, the Germans get a lot of credit for quote-unquote inventing that like idea of, of Blitzkrieg. Again, a World War II term, I know. But um, So that's kind of something that the Sith implement is a full-scale invasion of the Republic as fast, they know they're outnumbered, but if they can hit their targets hard enough, fast enough, that they don't even know or can't even muster their defenses in yeah. time, it could lead to an absolute victory. Yeah. Um, that's at least Nagasato's plan. Obviously, that gets derailed for a number of reasons, but yeah, I just wanted to draw that kind of parallel with the that tactic of <clears throat> full-scale rapid invasion, which is pretty sound on its face. Yeah. Um, whether or not, you know, he was in a good position to actually pull it off. It's questionable. Depends like how superior your enemy is numerically and how fast. You well, it seems like he would have, if not for, um, his apprentice. Yeah. Turning on him. Yeah. But again, like, yeah, um, that'll lead me to the other thing is like the fact that he was attacking with inferior numbers. Like maybe if the Republic caught on for other reasons that a lot of these forces were an illusion. Yeah. Um, that might have turned the tide at a later date. Who knows? I, I'm just 
we're talking about a hypothetical battle in a hypothetical universe. It's like two layers of like, one thing is like, uh, what's it called when you're doing like the opposite of what happened in history? There's a word for it. Like revisionist? No, no, no. Uh, it's like, uh, it's like a, a thought experiment of like, well, if this had changed in history, then this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> we're doing that, but on a fantastical level, which is like two layers removed from like alternative history, alt history, almost like alt history. There's okay. a, there's a word for it counterfactuals oh yeah yeah okay. arguing yeah. counterfactuals right right, right yeah which is already like a whole thing on like can you really argue that it's if yeah. you're into alternative history it's a yeah. big de- debate of like oh did you factor in this thing or that thing and like oh you didn't you know yeah we should do some counterfactuals with star wars well that, but that's my thing is like it's already hard enough to do counterfactuals with reality yeah let alone with fiction or is like well if this didn't happen how do you know this wouldn't have happened right because yeah. it's all made up um but anyways that's what we're doing right now um if yeah would would he have been successful anyways with his blitzkrieg tactic did he have the resources the manpower because again they were quite outnumbered by the republic they were invited invading a superior force and it was really based on the speed and violence of their attack as well as the illusion factor that gave them the dominant edge yeah um, and we don't know. We don't, we don't know what would have happened. Obviously, the bad guys aren't allowed to win because it's Star Wars. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was a sound plan after all. Um, on the note of the the war itself, um, the great hyperspace war, you'll see kind of come up mentioned in the future now and again as like this big historical event, which again, it was like we're, for all the reasons we're saying, uh, big intergalactic conflict, kind of the origins of the conflict we see all through history from this point forward. Um, but one thing is how quick and how isolated it seems. So a lot of this information comes from the comic series that we did actually a review episode on. Uh, it's a behind our paywall on Patreon. If you want to go listen to that, <laughs> it's a good uh, time to, to go do that. Um, but a lot of this information comes from tales of the Jedi comic book series. And from our reading of it, it seemed very limited in scope because you you know you're following specific characters through the story of this this big invasion but it was this big galaxy well maybe not galaxy but within the limited scope of the republic and the sith empire at the time which is like mostly confined to the core worlds so uh, perspective again like yes the republic does exist they have you know tons of worlds they're not the republic that you imagine maybe during episode one right they're not that big yet they're growing and they're headed in that direction. Um, but it is still kind of defined as this quote unquote galaxy defining conflict, but it happens over the span of like two weeks. So it's very quick. Yeah. And again, it feels very limited because you only spend time on the Koro sector, which later becomes the Empress Tata system and Coruscant, which yes, are kind of the two main players, but it kind of makes the whole conflict feel very small. Yeah. Um, but I do want to stress that it's multiple Republic worlds getting invaded all at once. Yeah. Um, you maybe just don't get that. (coughs) You don't get that scope or feeling from just reading the comic book. Yeah. You kind of have to rely on like outside inferences and mentions. Yeah. I mean, presumably, and I don't think we've had a hard number, but presumably like millions of people died. Yeah. And again, that's what, that's what I'm talking about. The scope of the conflict. Like, You're bombing Coruscant. Every bomb is probably going to have right, like yeah. tons of casualties. <laughs> Again, Coruscant isn't the Coruscant you think of today. Yeah. But it's still becoming that. It's still an ecumenopolis by then, is it not? I think it is, if not pretty close to yeah. it. 
Um, the reason I say I don't know if it is entirely is because the Jedi Temple isn't built yet, and right. they actually give them a mountain. But right. I feel like it's just those topographical features that are left. So, yeah, right? yeah. Like, if Mount Everest was the last right, yeah. piece of nature still available on Earth's surface, it's super tiny compared yeah. to <laughs> the rest of the planet's surface that you're bombing, yeah. right? So, again, yeah, you're, you're bombing Coruscant. You're going to have crazy casualties. The Coro system has an ecumenopolis, too, and there you go, you know, t- full-scale invaded. Yeah. Um, and again, they're not ready for it. So there's like no real defenses, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, it's it's cataclysmic in the damage to infrastructure and to civilians and the military that does end up rallying and putting up a fight as well. But again, um, just trying to put things into perspective. If you ever do read the comic book, like I said, it feels very limited in scope, but it is supposed to be this like wider conflict. And then again, the time scale. Two weeks is very quick for... Uh, <laughs> An intergalactic invasion, um, especially relative to something like the Clone Wars, which is like, I think, three years, yeah. right? Which it, even to me seems pretty brief for an interstellar conflict. I think it's always nice to pad those numbers a little bit and make it a little more fuller if you want like greater scale, right? Like yeah. World War One, World War Two lasted longer than that, so. 30 years war. Yeah, right? Like 100 <laughs> years war. Yeah. <laughs> if you really wanted to. But yeah, it, it obviously... No, the, the literal 30 years No, war. no, I know. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm saying the 100 years yeah. war. You could get big with it, right? Yeah, like Human yeah. history. Um, and that's just one planet, right? Small nations. But again, you also want to keep things confined maybe to... Depending on the story you're telling, like you could make it a story of intergenerational conflict if it's like 100 years war. Yeah. But if you're trying to tell, like, if you want your characters to live and exist within a certain time frame, like, let's say the story of Anakin Skywalker, for example, during the Clone Wars, you kind of want to have a more condensed timeline to work with so that your character doesn't age out or there's not long periods of nothing happening in their lives or stuff like that, obviously. Um, But like I said, two weeks seems very quick for the first major war that gets mentioned all through history. Yeah, it's Um, true. It does. But yeah, yeah. At the same time, I feel like it doesn't always. It doesn't have to be super long. Like there's no true. Yeah, like it just could be again going back to that Blitzkrieg idea. It's just yeah. really bi- big, violent, and fast. Yeah, yeah, and over just as quick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. For me, it it just kind of seemed odd. Again, for especially for the echoes it leaves in history. But like you said, I mean, yeah. World War One really started with the assassination of one person. Yeah, leads to all these casualties, right? So. I'm 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 just making an observation. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's an observation. Um, something else to bring up here is so after kind of the Sith forces get broken, they retreat uh, back to the Sith Empire. The Republic goes on like a genocidal crusade right after. Yeah. So I was actually wondering about that. I'm like, like they want to wipe these guys off yeah. the face of the map, and the Jedi go along with it. Yes. <laughs> so I'm like. While I was reading that, I was kind of like this. They're almost trying to mention, like, downplay it. Yeah. And kind of mention, like, oh, yeah, it's just like a natural next <laughs> steps kind of thing. And I'm like, no, it's not. You just guys became the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I don't know how they justify it or how they thought of it. Some of the justifications I heard were like. It was uh, a different time back right. then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Jedi weren't as sophisticated yeah. as they are now. They're still genocidal, though, if you ever pop up as a Sith. Um, no. From a certain point of view. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, no, what, one of the justifications I heard was that they saw the Sith Empire as, as this existen- existential threat 
and again, going back to the speed and violence, like it's almost like a nine 11 incident, right? Yeah. Where like such a horrific act galvanizes a population and everyone's a hundred percent. Let's go to war. Yeah. Right. And let's go get revenge for this, this slight. Or, well, I mean, like you said, maybe if they did view them as an existential threat, they we have like, to wipe them out. Yeah, we have to wipe them out because yeah. they will come back yeah. uh, one day. And finish and the job that yeah. they started. Yeah. Um, again, though, like, then that leads to a bunch of, There's not a lot of information on the counterattack. Yeah. Only that it happened. But you can kind of also see then how that leads to a galvanizing of the Sith. Being like, hey... Yeah. You just wiped out our civilization. Yeah. <laughs> kind of want revenge. <laughs> yeah. Granted, they were the aggressors and their their philosophy, we know their philosophy makes them inherently aggressive. Yeah. But I don't know how the Republic would have known that, right? Like, yeah. if ships kind of like um, appeared in orbit, it's not like they're giving you a treatise as to why they're invading. They just do and they just start bombing stuff, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know how they understood Sith philosophy enough to think that they were going to be an existential threat, at least by this point. Although I will say a lot of information was gathered by Jedi, um, like Odin Ur, who ended up building a whole library out of some of the information he recovered. But again, I imagine that takes, that's like more of a process rather than like, hey, yeah, let's go back and genocide these guys because they're obviously <laughs> an existential threat, right? It's not like Nagasada was like reading off the principles of Sith philosophy to his enemies while he's invading. Yeah. But. Yeah, I'm just trying to find ways to justify what happened here. Um, yeah, it definitely seems um, questionable. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Again, without more information, like it, I'd have to judge it as being pretty, pretty evil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> an evil thing to overly do. aggressive. Yeah. in the counterattack, and you do have like individuals like Empress Tata showing a lot more restraint and like, no, let's go back, let's focus on our wounded and our dead. Yeah, but then the Republic and the Jedi again implicated in this are like, no, we're going, we're yeah. going back for revenge, um, which shows a kind of a distinct a distinction between those internal factions. Yeah. Um, also, on that note, too, you have like other Sith, like it sets the stage. It levels what is was the old Sith Empire, and it sets the stage for kind of some new Sith factions that will arise. Um, quote unquote, spoiler alert. Not quote unquote, but spoiler alert, uh, in case you're detached from a lot of Star Wars lore nowadays, you'll see kind of like the rise of Darth Vitiate and his Sith Empire. Yeah. Um, we name drop them there. So just keep those names in the back of your mind because we're in a little while here going to get into them and how they kind of fractured off um, and how kind of the Sith will will rebound from this. But the Sith Empire, as we know it, as in their golden age, yeah. um, Agenda Paul, all these people. Uh, Marco Ragnos, all their legacies are kind of now in ruins. Yeah. Um, and that's kind they of... They kind of... They almost like bit off more than they could chew with this and like who got their fleet wiped out and then... Got their civilization desolated. Yeah. Which but, is a, that, but then even like when Sadow returns back, he has a fight with Ludo Crash, right? Yeah. And, that even, and that obviously didn't help their cause. Yeah, right? that didn't help them in the defense of uh, their own civilization. Yeah. So... Which again, it's kind of ironic because Ludo Kresh was the one that was about self-preservation. He he was right yeah. in their argument. He was like, "No, if we do this, like, we risk our empire." Which yeah. turns out, yeah, you lost it. Cause, yeah. And Sado himself is forced to go into exile and hide on Yavin, mm -hmm. one of the moons of Yavin. So, 
yeah, that's kind of where we're at now, kind of setting the stage for future episodes here. We're obviously going to continue this story and where it goes. Um, but just kind of some names to keep in mind and kind of almost like save this point in the back of your mind for the Sith and how they're going to bounce back in the different iterations of Sith. Uh, and this is still a, quite a ways away before we reach kind of the rule of two phase of of Sith philosophy. Um, yeah. Which we'll, we'll get to as we as we go through this story. But this is sort of like where the Sith break off from being like a civilization and a species into being like a worldview and a, and a yeah, religion. Yeah, a philosophy. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, kind of back to our original points here. Yeah. Like they have a coherent belief system. And uh, yeah, they're not even Sith being associated with the species starts to get lost. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the species no longer holds territory as it used to. Yeah. Uh, and again, worlds like Korriban and stuff are still going to be big within the Sith, but now they are kind of these ruins and things relics of the past that you kind of, kind of go back and look at rather than being active participants. Yeah. You almost wonder like playing a hypothetical here, but if the counterfactuals, the counterfactuals, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like what if the, the sort of brutal attack on the Sith, Sith civilization by the Republic, like actually turned a lot of people sympathetic towards the the sith cause right and like that's where the whole sith idea started spreading beyond just the ethnicity and into like it became like a mind virus i'm just saying i'm obviously i don't know that this happened i'm just saying like uh is it possible you you could see something like that uh creating fertile ground for like more radicalism yeah (laughs) radicalism and extremism yeah you know spreading beyond uh the borders of the sith i would give more credence to that if it weren't for the fact that um a lot of our dark jedi that existed a couple thousand years when they first arrived in the sith empire um had already kind of started documenting things like their code and stuff yeah which i mean yeah it could be a way for it to spread but they were already kind of in that mindset i think prior no but i'm saying like uh even people within the republic right exactly it would spread to the other side rather than people who are already bought into it right yeah 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 Yeah, i I suppose that's possible i don't know if it's documented anywhere like you said it's counterfactual or hypothetical i I know i we like to like reference a lot of like historical events here but yeah um so like uh in 1906 or 7 maybe 1905 um uh, Russia invaded Japan, Tsarist Russia. Uh, and Russia had like a much bigger army and they were like seen as the greater power. Um, but Japan like uh, whooped them <laughs> really yeah. badly. And because it was like on the east side of the of the of um, Russia, where it's like very sparsely populated, and most of the army was in the west side of Russia. Like the um, the cost and the resources to, to tra- ship everyone to, over to the yeah it was like it was like an incredibly costly war yeah, it's like shipping someone across Europe but it's all within one country because Russia's so freaking big that's right um but the a lot of people attribute this action by I think it was Nicholas uh, the third or something or the second or third uh, they attributed this as to like what would ultimately lead lead to the events of the Russian revolution in 1917. Because after this, like there, there had actually been previous revolutionary attempts, but they were easily like put down. Uh, But it was like after this, that like 
people just started uh, joining the Communist Party in droves because they were like so mad that they got dragged into this war and like they were like beaten really bad and uh, it made the em- the emperors like look really bad as well because uh, they completely miscalculated. Yeah. Um, and it actually launched Japan into being like a superpower in that region, yeah. right? Because now they were like seen as... Uh, a credible military yeah, threat. Yeah. Right, right up until the bombing of Nagasaki and Hiroshima, like yeah. the, those like 40 odd years, uh, Japan was like a superpower uh, as a result of this war. So it's just interesting to see like, you know, the implications and like you can, you you make one bad calculation and then like you foment a revolution inside yeah. your own country. Right. So, uh, I'm the like I'm just saying like these kind of events that happen can like lead to internal problems that are really difficult to contain. Yeah, people that are like, yeah, is the republic being overly aggressive? Why are we, you know, yeah, doing this? And then they might maybe like maybe the Sith were right about some things or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I could. Again, it's it's possible. Yeah, yeah. We just don't have any documented yeah, know, stories of such cases. Just but, doing some, yeah, filler. <laughs> like uh, I, I, li- I like to do that with like a lot of the Star Wars stories. Oh, maybe like yeah, the, you know, you kind of fill in your own fan fiction a little bit. So. Oh yeah, I'm sure every Star Wars fan. Does. Yeah, <laughs> and some of them get crazy enough that they actually write it down <laughs> and we'll submit it. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> um, yeah, but beyond that, just some quick mentions here. Um. Just a minor observation I just wanted to make is, um, well, kind of two of them. One, so not really mentioned a whole lot in the episode, but the Sith meditation sphere is like a ship um, that uh, Nagasato uses to kind of conduct the war effort from. It's kind of where he focuses his Sith energy to create this like bolstered illusionary force from. Um, it looks a lot like a TIE fighter. <laughs> oh, does it? Yeah. Uh, if you actually look I at it. I didn't actually look at it. Yeah, it looks like a very primitive TIE fighter. It's a lot bigger. Like, it's a ship you can actually oh, board, okay, okay. Uh, which uh, Gav Daragon actually does. But, it, like, the, it's very reminiscent of a TIE fighter in design. Well, I don't know. Are they maybe trying to say that, like, uh, Palpatine was, like, inspired yeah, by Yeah, I don't know. I, that's where I was going to say. I was like, I don't know if it they're making that much of a leap to say it's a, a direct thing or if it's just coincidental yeah. or just, like, something the artist wanted to tie an association with right? without actually, like, meaning, deeper <laughs> meaning beyond that. But it's just an observation. Okay. Fair I wanted enough. to point out. Um, but in that, um, kind of interestingly enough, uh, some force powers that get used here one on the side of the Republic and Odin Ur is the power of battle meditation, which will be fairly significant in the future as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe this is the first time it really becomes prominent, like on a galactic spanning, like changing the tide of battle. Um, we'll do We'll delve into it a little more and we talk about it briefly in our force powers episode. Um, but it is something that will, come up time and again in the future as a distinct power. And I know we've mentioned it in other episodes too, in the future of like the new Jedi order and stuff with Luke's Jedi order. Um, some people will practice it there, but, uh, just something as a reoccurring theme to keep kind of in the back of your mind as you listen to future episodes. Um, 
And then Naga, Naga Sadow, his ability to, he has a, a unique force ability to blow up stars. Um, yeah. So using like. Force them to go supernova. Yeah. Which is it's just an interesting ability. I mean, that's like a kind of a, I was kind of thinking that's a little outlandish. OP? Yeah. A little overpowered? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so then that brings things into question like um, the Death Star. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you can annihilate or the Sun Crusher, like. Well, the Sun Crusher, yeah, but the Death Star is not even as powerful. Right, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like you invest all this time and money and energy into technology to be able to do something that one individual. That's right, yeah. Who's presumably as powerful as Sadow. You know, maybe if Darth Sidious had access to that knowledge, yeah, he could just rule the Empire from like some throne, from Coruscant sitting in his throne room just blowing up stars. <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know if I love it. I just wanted to point it yeah. out. That's all. I'm, I'm just um, drawing attention to it. Yeah. Even the Sun Crusher is like more believable to me than like someone having the ability power. to yeah. blow up a star. Yeah. That's something that'll come up whenever we get around to Force Unleashed stuff. Um, yeah. About how powerful is too powerful for Force abilities? What's kind of galaxy breaking? I know like Darth Nihilus is kind of in that range as well of like like is he too powerful like he can just kill anything he comes in the vicinity of and darth vitiate too yeah darth vitiate as well yeah we'll 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 be i think revisiting this idea of like force powers and yeah they're not they're not very grounded they just become like and again it kind of like whereas like in the original films all the force abilities were very grounded it's a far cry from force push yeah (laughs) right like yeah, yeah, it's like force lightning. Yeah, I could blow up stars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a it's yeah. a hyper escalation. And then again, right? Like, oh, oh, we'll talk about it when we get to Galen Merrick. But like, yeah, it's cool to be able to pull down a star destroyer. But then it calls into question the idea of using star destroyers. Right? Yeah, yeah. Does it make sense? I don't want to derail us on that conversation <laughs> right here, right now. But what did Yoda say? <laughs> what? It matters not the size. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not this crude matter. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways, that's all I got. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, just want to give a shout out to one of our new patrons, uh, Marta Firu. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, thank you, sir or madam, uh, whatever you are. <laughs> if you're a vampire, please don't eat us. Yeah. Um, we appreciate all the support you guys. If anyone wants to reach out and, uh, Give us your questions, comments. Um, Pick a side in our conflict. Yeah. <laughs> Star, uh, who invented hyperspace? Um, what else? Or hyperdrive technology, rather. Um, what else? Uh, if you want to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash starlores. You can find us on our social medias at uh Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Discord. Just look up Star Lores. Um, and then uh, if you're having troubles with the Discord link, just let us know and we'll send it to you. Uh, email starlorespodcast at gmail.com. You can send us all your emails there. Uh, also, give us a five-star rating and review. That helps us reach more people, on, especially on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Any other housekeeping? No? Okay, cool. Peace.